we started dating and on our third date my husband I had met him and I he had told me about this trip he did with his brother John where they rode their bikes across the country from Seattle to Boston okay. one summer it took him about two months and um, that's a pretty aggressive timeline it was 56 days so they put their back tire of a bicycle in the Pacific Ocean in Washington and then rode all the way to Boston and put the front tire of their bicycle in the Atlantic wow. uh, and he said you know after they did that trip that they always just felt like there was something more to do and so on our third date, he was like, yeah, actually, let me tell you about what my real dream is. And he took me, we were walking through a books a million and he took me to a globe and he pointed to the top of Alaska and he was like, I'd love to do a round the world trip. And he traced his finger down the length of the North and South American continents. He's like, then you can gain passage on a ship to Africa and ride up Africa, across Europe, across Asia, through Australia and then back to the US. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I thought, I think he's serious. And then I thought, I should get a bicycle. You know? <laughs> that would be a good first step to this relationship. But just really, even looking back, when, uh, when I was in college, the Lord had put certain people in my life that were very influential. And I had this real desire to travel and to see the world and to experience adventure. But I, as a single female, I didn't really know what that looked like or how I could do that. But I had a professor who had done like a two-year backpacking trip. And I thought, man, this is amazing. What a way to experience the world. So I always had a desire to travel, but just didn't know what that would look like. Um, and after that date where he brought it up and as our relationship became more serious, I realized, you know, it, well, we both kind of realized this is just a part of our dream now together. Mm -hmm. And we were serious. Like, we really want to do this. So... Is older than the hills Rivers run dry Mountains shake Everything including me Is gonna pass away Your love is older than the hills Your love is taller than the trees Wider than the sky That's over me Reaching out Past all my big dreams, your love is taller than the trees. Well, there you are, and welcome to Redemption's Table. We're glad you're with us. We are officially halfway through summer. It's now August. In many places, school has started back. If you go out and look up into the night skies these next few nights, the Perseid meteor shower is about to hit its peak. There's so much good going on, and 
Today's episode is part of the good. I'm excited about today for multiple reasons. First, you just heard a song, Everywhere I Go, by one of our brand new highlight artists, singer-songwriter Becca Jordan. I discovered Becca's music through Andrew Peterson's The Rabbit Room back in 2020. So many good songs I listen to often. They're on my playlist. Same Old, Daylight, All I've Got. And she has graciously allowed us to share her music. And I encourage you to tune in to Becca's music wherever you stream and listen. She's a fantastic, gifted musician. I like her music greatly, and I hope that you will tune in and enjoy it as well. Start following along wherever you listen. Not only do we have a new artist to highlight today, we also have a conversation with Bethany Garth. Bethany is the Executive Director of First Choice Women's Medical Center in Montgomery, Alabama. And we get to explore a little bit of her story, and I'm just ready to jump into this conversation from last month. So here we go. I am sitting here in an office in Montgomery, Alabama with my friend, brand new friend, did not know her the first of the year, Bethany Garth. Hi, boss. Welcome to the table. Hey, Robert. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to have you. And I said, hello, boss, because you're my boss. (laughs) It's true. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And I'm delighted that you chose to be here today. First off, for those who are tuning in and they're like, who is Bethany Garth? Uh, just a real brief synopsis of who you are, what you do, that sort of thing. Yeah, so my name is Bethany Garth, and I have lived in Montgomery for nine years. I'm married to my husband, Dave. We have three kids, and I am the executive director at First Choice Women's Medical Center, which is a pregnancy resource center serving here in Montgomery, which is, of course, how I know you. And, um, yeah, that's a little quick little bio, I guess, about who I am. What yeah. else do you want to know? That's good. I mean, <laughs> um, every life is a book. Tell us a little bit about what happened back in the late 2000s. Yeah. So uh, in 2011, my husband and I quit our jobs. Uh, I was actually working at the Pregnancy Resource Center in Auburn, Alabama at the time. I was a publicity and events coordinator there, and he was working in Tallahassee, which is where he works now as a mechanical engineer. And we had been married for about two and a half years, and we we quit our jobs to live out our dream, our shared dream, but which originated with him of riding our bicycles around the world. So um, that's not something you do off the cuff um, without significant planning. So we had at that point been together uh, for close, almost nearly four years, going back to the beginning of our relationship. It was something we had been talking about, dreaming about, planning for. Uh, We ate a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and held out on a lot of things that we could have pursued in that season of our early marriage and saved, 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 and then quit our jobs in 2011. And um, just to kind of give a quick overview of the trip, and then you can ask whatever you want to, and I can kind of unpack that. But uh, we started in uh, the Northeast US where he had a brother who was living in New Hampshire. So we actually started up in Maine uh, and we rode our bikes from there down to Alabama where I was in a wedding. Um, like a good Southern girl, I had you know a wedding to be in. So uh, we, had, we had started in August, August 18th, 2011. 
It took us about two months to get down to Alabama. And then um, that was kind of like our practice run. Like we kind of wanted to test out our gear and see if everything worked or, you know, if there was anything we wanted to change. And then after that leg of our journey, we then took a flight to Guatemala and we spent two and a half weeks initially in the town of Shayla, where my husband had done um, an intensive Spanish program while he was in college. He had lived there one summer. And so I had no language training in Spanish. So he was like, you know, before we go riding our bikes all over Latin America, maybe you should learn some Spanish. So we did two and a half weeks of language school in Guatemala. And then from there, we rode away and we rode our bikes through uh, Central America to Panama. So that was about a six week riding portion. Um, and then from there, my mom actually flew us home that year for Christmas. And so we went home for Christmas and then it was almost like then we really left because after that, after we left for Christmas um, and, and went back to the road, we didn't go home again for another, you know, a year and a half at wow. that point. So. From after we flew home for Christmas, we flew to Southern South America to capture the seasons, right? Because at that point it was January of 2012, and that means it's summer. And so we flew down uh, to Santiago in Chile, and then we actually took a bus, and then we took a ferry through the fjords, and we got on our bikes in Patagonia, and we rode our bikes north through South America. Um, through five different countries. It was about 5,000 miles uh, back and forth over the Andes. And that took us about six months. So that landed us north in Quito, Ecuador, which was kind of the terminus of our northward journey through South America. From Quito, we flew to Europe. We flew to Oslo. This was then June of 2012. So once again, wanting to hit the seasons, we wanted to get on over to Europe before it got too cold. From Oslo, Norway, we rode our bike south um, to Berlin, and then we rode west across um, Northern Europe, and then we took a ferry to England. We did England, Wales, and then we actually met my parents in Ireland, and we spent, well, we met my aunt in Wales for a visit, and then we met my parents in Ireland for a week. We dropped our bikes and did a car trip. And then we came back across England and then back to France. We rode across France and other parts of Europe until we got to Italy and Dave's parents met us in Italy, actually. We did a two week vacation with them in Italy by train. And then we finished out the European leg of our journey by riding to Istanbul. And we finished in Istanbul in December. And in December, yeah, that was 2012. Then we flew from there. This is where it gets a little complex. We flew from Istanbul to Hong Kong and we spent 12 days, I believe, in Hong Kong, which was longer than we had planned, working out visas for China, Thailand, and Vietnam. So we spent 12 days in Hong Kong, crossed over into China by bus, and then we took a train inland to where one of my very best friends from college was living uh, in the Chengdu province. Um, her and her husband were serving there. And so we, um, we met them there. We spent Christmas with them in 2012. And then we rode away from there. We rode south through China, down to Southeast Asia, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Thailand, uh, Malaysia, 
we ended up in Singapore and from Singapore we flew back to Vancouver Canada got back on our bikes and from Vancouver we rode across the border back into our home country of the United States down the west coast to San Francisco and then back across the country to Auburn and we finished our whole trip in September of 2013. Altogether, it was roughly 23,000 miles on bicycle, uh, 41 countries, 25 months, and you know, one life-changing experience. Wow. <laughs> that was the high-level view. <laughs> yeah, wow. I'm sitting here. I went, yesterday, I went to see Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and, and I sat there in the theater the vast majority of the time with this huge smile on my face. This smile that I'm wearing right now is even huger because I'm like, I, I had not heard the individual stops, uh -huh. and I'm just like blown away by that. I, uh, one of my favorite quotes by Louis L'Amour, Western author, adventure is just a romantic name for trouble. <laughs> and I hear that and I'm like, yeah, I'm sure, but tell us a little bit about, there had to be some daunting parts to that. And you had told me just a few minutes ago that your husband on y'all's third date mm -hmm. mentioned his dream of doing what y'all did. Yes. Yeah. It, it definitely started with him. I mean, it was his idea and I had buy-in very early and it was always kind of a part of our relationship. So I was excited and I wanted to do it, but if, I'll just mention a few, the part you say about trouble, a few like highlight maybe milestone moments for me in my journey. Um, as we left, well, first of all, the whole year before we left was planning, preparing. People ask all the time, oh, how do you train for a trip like that? Well, you don't, you leave. I mean, there's no training to ride your bicycle for four to six hours every day. Um, and just to, to give a little bit of context to the type of travel this is, because even just hitting that high level view doesn't really explain this, but we were what you would call bicycle touring. So we carried everything we need, everything we needed for the two years with us. Mm -hmm. So this was not, there is like credit card touring where you take like a minimalist pack and you just pay to stay along the way. That was not what we were doing. We had a tent, sleeping bags, sleeping pads, a cook kit, a stove, all the clothes we would need for two years, which was minimalist, right? Like three cycling outfits. And we often washed out our clothes in the sinks of gas stations and hotels um, and hung them off the back of our bike to dry. But if you looked at our bikes and think about, oh, we had a computer, we had a nice camera, and then we had all kinds of obscure accessories that you need to make a trip like this work. We even carried um, Crazy Creek camp chairs because it was really worth having mm -hmm. something comfortable to sit on every night to eat our dinner. Um, but that is a very nomadic type of travel. Um, but if you looked at our bikes, we kind of looked like pack mules is kind of how you describe it. Like we were not fast. This was a very slow method of travel. Um, you know, it, people would ask, oh, how far do you go in a day? 60 miles was a pretty average, but maybe even pretty good day. Heavily varied depending on terrain or um, weather or, you know, sleeping conditions the night before and how good you felt and all of those things caused a lot of variance. So for 
at least half, if not more, of the, the days of this trip, we would wake up in the morning, pack up our entire life, and not know where we would sleep that wow. night. You know, so when people ask, oh, how did you plan it? Well, a lot of it is kind of plan as you go. You know, you're kind of, you can't, you can't plan the level of detail that this kind of trip, it just requires you to hold it very, with very open hands. You have to be very flexible and just kind of go with whatever each day brings you. We would have certain stops or goals that we would work toward over like a three month span, right? So like, and maybe six weeks out, we would book a flight to the next major leg of our journey. So we would know, okay, well, we know we have a flight from Quito and we need to get there three or four days in advance to pack up our bikes and pack up all of our stuff to be able to fly, right? So you have some of those things in, in place, but that's just kind of some, some details, but kind of going back to like significant moments and, and thinking about, you know, adventure and how it, it even shaped me in that season. I remember when we left, um, like the first week was not, was, was not like easy, right? <laughs> so, so we started in the U.S. and I think that was wise because there was a lot of like emotional transition that had to happen yeah. as well. You know, we left our house, we left all of our stuff, we left our families. So at least we're not also speaking another language, <laughs> right? So we, we start, we leave from the family in North, in New Hampshire, go up to Maine and start riding south. And, you know, I'm sore because there's no training you can do to prepare for a trip like this. And we've been mostly, we call it stealth camping all week, which means it's not, we're not paying for campgrounds. Like we're kind of just camping where one can, um, sometimes with permission and sometimes in the, the dark of night, you know, you just kind of disappear uh, when, with your tent. So I remember we were one week into the trip, one weekend, and we set up our tent in a, it was a day use park on the Erie Canal. We were in New York and I was tired physically, probably emotionally too. And I remember getting in the tent that night and thinking two years is how long we've planned to do this. And I thought I can do anything for two years. It's just not that long in the grand scheme of life. I can do anything for two years because I was not happy in that moment with what we had, but I knew I just need to get through this bumpy, bumpy start and I can do anything for two years, yeah. even if I don't enjoy it. In the end, I loved it, but it did take. So that was one weekend. At about a month in, um, we, oh, and by the way, right after that, we got hit by Hurricane Irene in New York, had to spend our first night in a hotel because there were hurricane conditions in inland New York. I mean, like, wow. what in the world? Um, but about a couple weeks after that, there was another big moment. It was probably the biggest, if I will, like fight that my husband and I have ever had. We didn't really fight even, but we're usually just very capable of working things out with kind of normal communication without yelling. Um, but I, there were two, well, there were, it, I had a lot more reservations about this trip than he did. He had done a similar trip. And, and also, if I can just talk about my husband for a minute, he's just like, just not high maintenance at all. He's just like the lowest maintenance person possibly in the world. I mean, he lived in Atlanta for three and a half years with no car, just his bicycle. And just, so when I'm saying like, I don't really like riding in the rain to him, he's like, why not? He just doesn't understand. He's like, just put on your rain jacket. 
And I was like, that's not normal. You know, like your response to that is not normal. Like this is a normal, I'm having a normal concern. Okay. So about three, three and a half weeks into our trip, we had multiple really heavy rainy days in Pennsylvania. And I was kind of getting a little worn down by it. Mm. I was a little disheartened. And he was maybe a little impatient with my, um, I was not as emotionally strong as him, I guess. (laughs) Like I was being more worn down by the rain. And so I remember, and then I also really hated uh, going over big hills, which Mm. we would call climbing, climbing on the bike. I would. Uh, Yeah. Um, And I just remember, we were going up a huge hill and it had been raining for like days at this point and I kept wanting to kind of take some cover and blah 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 and anyway he was like you know we're gonna have to ride through a lot of rain on this trip and he at one point in the conversation because I was like I'm gonna you know we were kind of going back and forth and he was like I mean maybe we shouldn't do this and I was like don't you ever say that to me again (laughs) and I rode off and um, the next day no, no, it was by that, and we worked it out, you know. But later that night, we started listening to the radio, and we realized we were riding through um, record rainfall in that area, and the Susquehanna River, actually, that's where we were. We were riding along the Susquehanna River. It was starting to flood, and that very night, we had to spend the night in a Red Cross shelter because wow. the campground was underwater, and I felt so validated that my, I was like, it wasn't just like an afternoon shower. We were riding through a flood, you know? Yeah. And, and he was like, you were right. You know, anyway, we worked it out and he never ever again suggested that we not do the trip. How many times did you go back to that and think, you know, if we could go through the, if I can go through that, this trip. Oh, for sure. And there, there were several things kind of early on. Um, I'll just mention a couple other milestones that I felt like were really significant for me. We're all in like the first six months of the trip. So it was that first week, the first month was the flood. Um, I had a couple of irrational fears before we left. One of them was a fear of bears. Uh, which was not really something to be concerned about on a trip like this. I love bears. Great. I don't. (laughs) And my husband was kind of like, you know, that's not the most rational fear. (laughs) It's fine. It wasn't a problem. Um, But he got me some, uh, we got a bear bell. And then we also had, I was afraid of dogs because dogs will chase you on a bicycle. Mm. And when you're loaded down with a lot of touring gear, you're a lot slower. Um, so we also got some pepper halt dog spray, which allows you to spray a dog that's chasing your bike and deters them. So that was one of my irrational fears. The other somewhat irrational fear going into say a worldwide bike tour is I really hated climbing. And I just, I was like, I don't know if I can do it. And we had read this book about this other couple who had ridden their bike around the world. And it talked about you know some of the stuff on the Blue Ridge Parkway, mm-hmm. and I got really concerned about the Blue Ridge Parkway now and the Alps. I was concerned about the Alps, mind you. And I, I, I'm glad I didn't notice this on the front end, but like our proposed route for ourselves ended up taking us back and forth over the Andes more times than I can count. So to be concerned about the Blue Ridge Parkway was super irrational, but I was. <laughs> 
Um, and I just didn't know how big the mountains were in South America. So that was the Lord's grace, really, that I didn't know because I probably would have resisted it. But I was very concerned about mountains and excessive climbing. And I was like, I don't know, it's so hard. Will I ever make it to the top? Blah, blah, blah. And in when we were in Virginia, we stayed with a guy. There's a network called Warm Showers that allows you to host. It's like a reciprocal hospitality network that's just for touring cyclists. So like we host cyclists now in our home, and but you can be hosted by people. And so there was a guy, His I don't know what his actual last name was, but his username on Warm Showers was Nick on the Bike, and that's what we call him, Nick on the Bike. Uh, so we stayed. We just stayed one night with Nick on the bike in Virginia, and he was a very established touring cyclist. And we were about to get ready to go onto part of the Blue Ridge Parkway. And I was. We he he made dinner for us that night, so we were kind of sitting around talking. And I was. You could see my fears kind of surfacing about the the climbing. Well, how long is that climb? And you know, when are we going to hit that? And I was asking questions about the route for the next day. And Dave was like, yeah, she's a little little concerned about the hills. And Nick looked at me and he said, oh, you'll grow into the hills. And man, that stuck with me. Like, what a good word. Mm-hmm. Um, like, that spoke into my life in so many ways. And I can also say it was so true. Uh, I couldn't see it then that, like, that one day those hills would not seem significant to mm-hmm. me. But the only way to grow into the hills is to do the hills. And so we just, we got out there, we rode the hills, it was slow. Uh, But now looking back, I can tell you, I'm not afraid of any mountain to ride my bicycle over. I'm sure I could Mm. make it. It's just a matter of having enough time to do it. And it's a mental, it's a mental strength. It's not about, you know, your physical capacity. I mean, you need to be able to ride a bike, but like you just have to mentally know however long it's gonna take me, I'm just gonna keep pedaling up this hill and so we've hung on to that phrase and and it really spoke into like I said other parts of my life because it I I can now see in other areas like I've grown into hills that I didn't think I could do Um, that's good that's good it is good it resonates man Nick on the bike he didn't know like he could have been a prophet you know Your love is older than the hills Rivers run dry, mountains shake Everything including me is gonna pass away Your love is older than the hills Your love is taller than the trees Wider than the sky that's over me Past all my big dreams, your love is taller than the trees. Let's fast forward to what you're doing now. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because it really does all kind of tie together. So before the trip, I worked at a pregnancy center and I did publicity and events. So it had some kind of marketing pieces and event planning. And I remember, um, loved my boss. Uh, he was a great guy. His strength wasn't the fundraising, but what I thought was before the trip, I remember looking at him and thinking, Ooh, I'm glad I don't have that job because, because of, I wouldn't want to ask people for money. You know, like, Oh, 
I'm glad the fundraising is on someone else. Like I would be too fearful to do that. Um, and so here I am, the executive director of a pregnancy center where fundraising is a huge component of my job. And I see, I really don't know if before the trip, if I had, I think I was more bound up in fear in general. Um, and that would have held me back. Mm -hmm. And just how the Lord used the trip to, to dissipate so much of my fear and to recognize like the only way to overcome the fear is to do the thing. And now, you know, a huge part of my job is the fundraising and I actually love, I love that because what I also realize is fundraising isn't so much just asking people for money, but it is inviting people to invest in a vision and in a, in a purpose that God has given us and that we're faithfully stewarding what he's given us to do. And like we joyfully invite people to, give to that because it is fun to be a part of what's got what God is doing so you know I, I you know he's shifted a lot of my perspectives but a lot of it goes back to dealing with that initial level of fear what lights the fire in your heart every morning when you get up to be a part of what takes place here at first choice in the work that is being done here at this woman's mm. medical center well, the Lord. <laughs> um, you know, it's hard for me to like package in, like what is it that excites me about pregnancy center ministry? It's mm -hmm. a lot, you know, back in when I first started at the pregnancy center in Auburn, it was 2007, so very different context than where we are today, 16 years ago. And I remember being excited because I didn't know there were people who did like hands-on pro-life work. I grew up in the church. I thought, oh yeah, abortion is wrong and we should we should work to end abortion. And when I was a kid, I mean, I thought that was, and then you vote a certain way. And when I graduated from college and got involved with the pregnancy center, I realized it it was so much more than that, that there's a way to practically live that out mm -hmm. by loving and meeting the people who are facing those decisions. And that's what we do. Um, but I think what really, really excites me even more, uh, yes, I'm so excited for people to choose life for their babies. That's great. And it is essential. And, you know, I'm sitting here in my office thinking just, you know, look over here at this paper I have. Just since Roe was overturned, we've had 190, 190 women come to first choice and say that they were either planning to have an abortion or were vulnerable to abortion who've chosen life. So it's 190 people who are made in the image of God who will be here because we were here to offer compassion, hope, and help in the gospel. But more than that, like that does excite me, but more than that, I really love the vision of pregnancy centers to see lives that are transformed by the gospel because if we don't offer the gospel, then we might have saved a life, but saved them for what, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so we need, we're not just pro-life, we're pro-abundant life. And we want every woman and man and baby to know that there is abundant life in Christ and that that is what truly can transform lives. Now that is very hard. It is long, arduous relationship building, not easy to report data on mm -hmm. work, but it is what I think what really drives me. It's just this vision of not just saving babies or even evangelizing, but this idea of really making disciples and 
seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. I am blessed to be a part of this. It was uh, a revelation to me. Mm. Uh, and I'm not going to unpack that because we want to talk to you. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, the last four and a half months have just been like, wow, for me. Um, in this work, and, you know, from going back to the late 2000s, 2011, that period of time to now, what are the hills you're growing into today? Personally, mm. yeah. uh, through this ministry, uh, ministry hills or personal hills? Yeah. Well, I think. You know, one thing in ministry is always, I just see how, um, how to say this. I've been, I've been, I've, the Lord has used this season to grow me as a leader. And even I can just say one example in like the past two years is I've really learned to be more open handed with who he gives us. So there was a time in my leadership where I felt this need to cling tightly to every employee or volunteer who, or donor. You know, every person who wanted to be involved in this ministry, I had to cling real tight to them because I couldn't, I couldn't lead this ministry and we couldn't do this without each person who was there. And that's true to an extent, like we can't do it without the whole body of Christ doing their part. But I've learned to let go of people and to let to be open-handed and to trust that the Lord ordains seasons mm -hmm. and that he's going to bring who needs to be here for the right season, for the right purpose, and that then he's going to move them at the right time and that we can just entrust that to him. So that's really been an area I think I've seen growth in like the past two years. But a lot of, a lot of what I do is, you know, the leading and the, um, driving vision and so there's always hills to grow into with that you know as, as the ministry grows trying to be sensitive to where the Lord is leading us and not just chase what I think is a good idea because I can come up with a lot of ideas um, trying to learn how to manage the resources that he's given us being a good steward not being fearful um, trusting his provision all of those things I think I will continue to grow into um, but I can see where he's done things I've now been in this position since um, 2017, so about six and a half years, but I've been here at First Choice since 2014, so this month is actually nine years that I've worked here. Um, the first two and a half years I was a development director and now as the executive director. So I can see growth and just change, like there's a lot of change that we just have to kind of be content to work through. Um, so I've seen that, and then I guess personally I would say, um, I mean, parenting is such a refining, <laughs> such a refining work, and there are always hills I have to grow into there, just trying to learn how to point my children to Jesus and um, how to model that, how to disciple them, um, how to not just respond out of the flesh or in my anger or frustration or when I do to go back and apologize and ask for their forgiveness and to just you know walk that out I, I feel like I don't know if, if anyone ever feels like they've they're really nailing it with parenting and if you do feel that way like maybe you're wrong <laughs> yeah. so you know it's it's an area where I think, boy, what a, I, like, I will always be growing into that, yeah. you know. Is there a Garth family 
bicycle trip in the dreams? Oh, for sure. We, the, the thing that's funny, people think, oh, if you go on a trip around the world, if you've been to 41 countries, I mean, surely your list of places to see has gotten smaller. But the problem with traveling is that it always expands your list and you learn about so much more that's out there. And so we have all kinds of dreams for trips that we'd love to do. When we had to, when we rode north through South America, we stopped in Quito, Ecuador um, to fly to Oslo in June because we didn't want to miss summer in Europe. And even as it was, the way we did it, we crossed the Alps in October um, and it was snowing as we were doing the pass, you know, so we got snowed on on our way over. So time was of the essence for a lot of our planning. That said, when we left Quito, we were very sad because everyone told us that Colombia is actually one of the best places for cycling in mm. South America. And we kind of had to miss that part. It was about, I don't know, probably six weeks worth of travel farther north that we could have done that we would have really liked to do. So we would love, as far as Dave and I, we would love to go back and, and ride Quito um, up to Cartagena in Colombia one day. We, we've also said we'd love to go back and finish. We did not go all the way to the tip of South America, um, to Tierra del Fuego in Argentina. We went to, um, we were basically in what's this, it's called Coyhaique in Chile. Um, so we were about a third of the way down into Patagonia, mm. but there's a lot more of Patagonia that would have been really nice, like a lot of glaciers and really cool stuff. Also really terrible roads, really, really terrible roads, but still beautiful riding. So we've always said we'd love to go back and ride the rest of it. It's called the Cartera, um, the Cartera Austral, which is the highway of the South. So we would love to go back and finish that. As far as with our kids, you know, the Lord has a way of keeping you humble, right? Like my six-year-old is terrified of her bike and like won't won't really ride it like she won't learn how to ride a bike and we're like this is gonna be important for us okay <laughs> like we need you to get this so my eight-year-old can ride my six-year-old still can't ride a bike the four-year-old is kind of learning um so we've talked about and dreamed about maybe when our kids are older everyone has to be able to propel their own bicycle has been our no no tandems or if we did a tandem like they need to be contributing no trailers i guess mm -hmm. i'll say to ride across the country so similar to what my husband did in 2003 with his brother maybe like a seattle to boston but it would be really kind of tricky because they went really fast mm -hmm. to make it work in just two months and you know like with school and stuff but we've dreamed about maybe when our kids are like teenagers, if they would be open, if they're not too cool for us. So we've, we're trying to plant the seeds of like love adventure, love travel, do fun things, face your fears. Um, but you know, it's a lifelong process. Yeah. So. Well, take heart. My parents tricked me into learning to ride my bicycle at age 10. Oh, 10, Because okay. we, we were going to ride bicycles in Grand Canyon, oh. you know, along mm -hmm. the rim. And I should have saw through that because I'd never seen my mom or my dad on a bicycle in my life, but but it worked, and I'm, I'm I have a motorcycle now, so there we go. Oh, so, I didn't yeah. know that about you, Robert. Yeah, That's yeah. a fun fact. Well, I'm looking to learn more fun facts about you, yeah. so we, we may, you know, um, we may come back for a special episode sometime at the table uh, around Ireland and being oh, in yeah. Ireland, on, you know, because I'm sure there's a, many, many stories and uh, oh, so uh, many, yeah. We're all fearfully and wonderfully made, and there's so many pages to our books. That's right, yeah, uh, in our lives. Thank you for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having yeah, me. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah.
it was a lot of fun. For those of you tuning in, thank you for being here at the table. We'll be back hopefully next Thursday uh, with another guest or, or uh, something uh, as we gather around this very special table. Until next week. And again, thanks, Bethany. Thank you. Your love is brighter than the sun. Shining down on heaven.